It's July 26th, 1887, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Ariel, Rebecca, and Ali, the Retrospectors. Esperanto estis inventita chitage, which means, as I'm sure we all know, that it was on this day that the language of Esperanto was invented. Well, I say invented, but actually uh, it was a long-term project, obviously, by a guy called Ludwig Leiser Zemenhof. But it was today that he published his book titled Dr. Esperanto's International Language in 1887. I know that Esperanto didn't go on to become the world's second language, but I think he might have considered it a semi-success that here we are, 134 years later, still talking about this mm. day. Yeah, and you say it was modest, but actually, you know, its intention was pretty grand. I mean, Esperanto itself means hope, and his hope was that this would be a means by which lots of different cultures would come to world peace. And I think it makes sense when you look at his background. I mean, he was born into a Jewish family in Bialystok, which is now in Poland, but back then was part of the Russian Empire. And like growing up, he saw how you know this multi-ethnic city had Russians, Germans, Jews speaking Yiddish, etc. And he saw how they had so many divisions between them. And so he came up with the idea when he was 14. And he himself spoke multiple languages, Russian, Yiddish, Polish, German. And he also spoke Volopyuk, which was basically the only kind of famous attempt at a universal language that had been made for Esperanto. It's pretty much hmm. completely forgotten now. But at its peak, right. it had apparently a million speakers. Well, the idea sort of makes sense, but I mean, can we just say fundamentally was obviously wrong? I mean, it's not true, is it, <laughs> that nations that all speak the same language don't go to war with each other? Yes, but it had been going on for hundreds of years, this idea that these constructed languages could bridge cultural divides. It started in the uh, late 1600s. It, they were called philosophical languages. You know, it was this time when people were using rationality and science to try and come up with these perfect solutions to human imperfections. And one of those was languages. Like if we could just hit on the perfect rational language, everything would be fine. And actually, in the early days, it really started to build traction, at least in Europe. And when you think about it, that's kind of the logical home for it, given that it was mostly based on Italian, French, German and English, including there was this attempt to establish an Esperanto speaking land called Amikejo, um, which was this 3.5 square kilometre territory that was between the Netherlands and Germany and France. And in this place, they did actually manage to start to get people to speak it. Within a few years, they had about 3% of the population speaking Esperanto to one another. And after World War I, it was really thriving and it was proposed as the official language of the incipient League of Nations. So people were kind of getting behind it and then it all got a bit squished in World War II. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, what happened in World War II is quite a fundamental sort of climax. Of bit of a fallout. Of mission, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah, I mean, particularly when, as you say, one of the goals was to, to quash anti-Semitism. You know, far mm. from that the disproportionately high number of Jews that were speaking Esperanto in the Esperanto-speaking world was one of the reasons why it was seen as a Jewish conspiracy and people were sent to their deaths at concentration camps for being Esperantists. So it was, I mean, you know, nice idea, but yeah. actually ended up creating the idea of a sort of secret society and cabal that the Nazis would then try and kill because it was founded by Jews. I'm the exact opposite of its intention. Yeah, including all three of his children, Dr. Zamenhof's children, they were all adults at the time, they were all murdered during the Holocaust, including his daughter Lydia, who was a massive advocate for Esperanto, and she'd been travelling around the world basically promoting the language. Even though it was pretty much oppressed and squashed and um, killed off 
around World War II. Afterwards, it has had a bit of a comeback, so much so that with the advent of the internet, it's really come back to life, so much so that there are estimated to be about 2 million uh, Esperanto speakers worldwide these days, which is huge when you think about it. I think there are definitely a lot of people who are interested in learning it. I think that's probably where the 2 million figure comes from. Um, There's a lot of estimates that are much lower, I think, probably Mm. more in the region of about 100,000 fluent speakers. There are even a handful of children who've been raised speaking Esperanto as their native language, which... I mean, that's child abuse. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, they do also learn the other language. They're not only brought up speaking Esperanto, like one of those like horrible age of reason experiments, but uh, including George Soros was brought up speaking Esperanto. His parents were both dedicated Esperantists. But I think that one of the reasons why Esperanto is popular on uh, like systems like Duolingo for learning languages is because of its cleanliness. You know, it was deliberately devised to get rid of quite a lot of the messiness of ordinary, everyday, fluid languages that develop with their own pace and with lots of exceptions and faults and weirdness. And so it's yeah, got like... if you're European. I mean, it's no good if you're Chinese, is it, trying to learn it? That's another flaw in his whole plan. It's like he completely ignored the whole existence of anywhere outside of Europe and just was like okay so we've got European languages and let's whack them all together but to be fair though in 1887 if you were going to guess what would be the most popular language in the world by 2021 you wouldn't be guessing Mandarin would you you would be guessing English Spanish or French it's interesting that you bring up Mandarin though Oleg because you might be surprised given that Hitler Stalin Franco etc all tried to quash Esperanto the Chinese government has always been quite supportive of Esperanto Mm. Um, Chairman Mao actually said if Esperanto is used as a means of presenting ideas which are truly internationalist and truly revolutionary, then Esperanto can and should be studied. And as such, it's actually remained in the good books of the Chinese Communist Party, partly because a universal language probably sounds quite sensible when 30% of your yes. country don't understand Mandarin fluently. Exactly. So this is one of the ironies, isn't it? I mean, even even from Hitler's point of view, this is one of the ironies, I think. You know, they didn't like it because they didn't like the idea of an international confederation of people and races but actually at the same time we're trying to set up a world where Mm. there was just a monoculture i.e german Mm. and actually then the goal's sort of the same weirdly i mean that's the problem isn't it like it's it kind of brings the world together speaking a second language at the same time you're sort of saying we'll create a monoculture so if you're china then that would appeal to you wouldn't it have you guys heard about incubus no, uh, no, I don't believe so. It's one of two films that's ever been made in Esperanto. It's a horror film oh. released in 1966 starring William Shatner. What? Canadian actor and famous non-Esperanto speaker. <laughs> You're probably wondering why anyone would want to make a film in Esperanto. Basically, the filmmakers thought it would sound weird and creepy if everyone was speaking this this strange language. So Shatner and all the other actors had to read their lines phonetically. Uh, and apparently some... Esperantists were incredibly enraged by their poor pronunciation. And there's a very odd hmm. blog post that William Shatner wrote several years ago where he says that Shatner, he thinks that... odd? That doesn't sound right. <laughs> <laughs> well, you should read it. It's really... He thinks that the, these offended Esperanto speakers cursed the film because quite a lot of people involved in it were murdered or died in the years afterwards. And he sort right. of goes into this thing about how he went around trying to destroy as many copies as possible. But then at the end of the blog post, he says he's realised that Klingon speakers are even more of a handful. The funny thing about that as well, though, is that, you know, it, you can really see the birth of people wanting to create new languages to put in fiction. And you, famously, of course, J.R.R. Tolkien wanted to create his books sort of as a vehicle for his interest in languages. You know, he wanted to create Elvish, he wanted to create Dwarvish. And so he just built these vehicles to put 
the languages in. But subsequently, you've had, you know, Klingon, as we mentioned, and then Hutties from Star Wars. Uh, Avatar. You know, Avatar. Simlish from The Sims, apparently, is also uh, a made-up language that has some sort of logic to it. It just sounds like kind of gibberish, but I think there is something to it. So, yeah, so it's, it's funny how you, there's been this sort of renaissance of languages being built by people who have a geeky interest in language that crosses over to film or literature or whatever. I don't know. I mean, it's often written, isn't it, that, you know, the internet saved Esperanto by making it popular. But actually, I do just wonder whether it sort of ruined it for all of those language nerds who used to meet at the conferences in the 60s and 70s. I mean, mm-hmm. put yourself in their position. Like, if you're that much of a language fan that you've travelled to Rotterdam or wherever the hell it was, <laughs> so you can go and speak a language no one's ever heard of to other people who have found out about a language that existed sort of 50 years ago, but not really, in a book at a library, and have then had to go along, like, receiving a ticket in the post. Like, that's where... You, I mean, that was Tinder for those people, wasn't it? Like, and now... It must just be really irritating that all these other people can just jump on it by downloading an app and pressing a button. You know, like, like the people who met there must have been like, well, I'm going to get married to you because you've come to this conference. Let's get married and raise our child in a loopy way that means that they only speak this crazy made up language. <laughs> Tomorrow. I mean, he was pretty much bang on yeah. money and everyone must have just thought he was just a grouchy old fun sponge. Love the show? Support the show. Patreon.com slash Retrospectors. Part of the ACAST Creator Network. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details.